So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to episode 56 of the Running Rugby podcast and the first round of the Super Rugby Finals is all wrapped up. Not too many surprises there. A few great games though to go back through. I am joined by Toby and joined by Leo right here next to me and I am your host Archie as always. How are you boys feeling after a bit of a predictable quarterfinal round? Pumped that the Brumbies are still there. We definitely expected them to overcome the Sharks, but uh, they they played really well as a unit, so still very pumped up for them going into next week's game. Yeah, it was massive, and Arch, I was jealous you got to go down there. Just a really good way to win for them, and hopefully they can do some some big things this coming week against Aguares, but it's going to be a big test. Yeah, and... It was really great to see a fairly strong crowd braving the cold out there in Canberra last night. Uh, There was a lot of talk once they were sure that the boys were going to come through, that we were going to see them back in two weeks. There was a lot of talk that the Hurricanes hopefully can top the Crusaders to try and bring the Brumbies a home final. But that might be looking a bit too far in the future. Uh, They've got a pretty hard contest coming up, travelling to South America. I believe they're already on the flight over today. Yeah, I think they've got to drive to Sydney, fly to Auckland, and then they'll be on another plane over to South America. So no shortage of, of airtime for them. Uh, they'll settle in nice and early. And man, if they can just do their job and, and win next week, you never know. Those Hurricanes are, are, are looking very hot, actually. They've been a bit touch and go this season, looking good one week and poor the, the next. They are the team that could rattle the Crusaders for sure. Yeah, I agree with that, and that's the thing. You, you can never write off any of these scenarios, so you just got to put your best foot forward. Um, I think the Haguaras, look, they were a little shaky over the weekend. The Chiefs did bring it quite close, so the way the Brumbies are playing at the moment, you could see some sort of upset happening if they really bring their A game. Before we get into all that recap of the weekend, uh, there was a fair bit of news coming out over this week, and look, there's the mandatory Falau update. He's now announced that he is suing Rugby Australia. He's put out a GoFundMe campaign. He's been slammed by previous teammates such as Drew Mitchell about this, uh, trying to raise uh, half a million dollars, I believe, to three million dollars. Oh, he's already he's already yeah, raised million. half a million dollars, aiming for three million dollars to help his legal fees to go up against Rugby Australia in a move that some journalists are saying may bankrupt Rugby Australia. Uh, Boys, I don't want to spend too long, but first first reactions to this? Just unprecedented. I, I mean, I really took me by surprise the fact he would approach something in this way. Um, it does seem... I know Drew Mitchell had a pretty extreme reaction to it. It just it seems odd to me that he's asking for a handout when he does have a significant wealth portfolio and he's not willing, obviously, to dip into that too much. Um, he would have known going into this that his legal fees would have been through the roof. Um, but that's part of it. If he wants to fight this, he has to pay his own way, I think. And I, I don't think you should be asking for a handout. Yeah, something I didn't actually realize uh, initially, GoFundMe is a fundraising website. It's free, but it's it's typically historically been used for people fundraising for you know sick kids or um, you know medical treatment, uh, trying to get people out of war zones and, and fly them home. So some pretty... Um, altruistic causes really and I think that's why there's been a lot of blowback on Falau that he's using the same site amongst all those type of causes for uh, funding a legal fight uh, in what he's calling the fight of his life surrounded by other you know fundraisers for basically you know kids with cancer and and refugees and and it's it just it's pretty it's pretty on the nose to most people. Uh, obviously, he's getting a lot of support. He's currently at $684,000 and a bit. So um, there's plenty of people who are supporting mm. him through that through that um, GoFundMe page. But it's it just doesn't seem to fit that site, and I can see why a lot of people are a bit unhappy about it. 
What what about Drew Mitchell's reaction? He was probably the most vocal, put out a tweet pretty much calling Israel Fall out and posting a screenshot in about this. Yeah, and I understand where he's coming from. I think it's I mean, for a guy in his position as a commentator and very visible, I, I don't know if I'd come on that strong. Like, I think the, what he said about, oh, you know, Falau, you think you deserve these, you know, donations more than all these other people. Well, that's, I think, what uh, Drew is perceiving. He's, 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 he's decided in his head that Israel doesn't deserve as much as these other kids. But at no point has Falau, you know, tried to attract people's money more than the other accounts, I guess. So he hasn't really come out and said that he does deserve them more. I don't quite like the wording, but you know what? Drew's getting a lot of support. It's getting retweeted all over the place. A lot of teammates, a lot of news sites are picking up Drew's side of the argument and reporting it. So there's a lot of support for this this angle that no one's in the rugby community really sees this as a, a sensible, supportive thing to do. Yeah, I guess I think Drew's a bit like the Fox News of, of rugby commentators at the moment. A um, little bit extreme in, in what he does. Um, I, I thought it was a, a bit over the top. And look, I know he's trying to get his point across. He's actually trying to fight back against Falau. Um, I don't know if this is the way to do it, but like you say, Leo, he's got a lot of attention. Yeah, it seems sometimes that when you go to sort of those extremes and it almost looks like a shouting match on social media between sort of two sides of the argument and it makes almost makes both sides look a little bit silly and you almost need to step back and have a bit more of a reasonable uh, approach to it. And you'll also see some reporting about um, people who've delved into Falau's business and the um, property portfolio he's got, claiming he's got over $5 million worth of property, um, you know, and all all these things being used as a um, a suggestion that Falau should be able to fund this stuff himself. Obviously, that's a choice he's made to go seeking that fundraising um, it'd be a lot more um, clear to to everyone if, if he wasn't receiving a lot of support. But fact is, there's a lot of people out there throwing money at him. So there's obviously a community that are, are seeing this as an opportunity to, to support what they see as more of a free speech and religious freedom fight, which I think it's getting misrepresented as that. But the, there's a group of people who are definitely seeing it that way. This is a story that's going to keep going on and evolving and it seems like every week we're just going to have to start a bit of a full hour watch to update everyone and what's happening because I'm sure it will continue to come up in the news cycle but some other sort of more um, happier news uh, the Wallabies finally have an attack coach Sean Byrne has been announced uh, the assistant coach for the Rebels and attack coach for them has been named as the Wallabies assistant coach and whether this was an appointment that was made earlier in the season and it's only been announced since the Rebels have uh, wrapped up their Super Rugby campaign, but it's it's nice to see that Wallabies have a complete coaching staff now. It's difficult to know though how much of the Rebels' success or lack thereof in in certain patches this season you'd put down to that attacking coach because they've definitely got a wealth of talent. They've got uh, a very strong halves pairing and and all the outlandish stuff that you you know you see these um, these crossfield kicks. Off, off a penalty to to the wingers, to, is is that Sean Burns' influence or is that just Quade's um, sort of creative spark um, bringing that on? So uh, I will be very interested to see if the attack that we saw from the Wallabies, the style last year, changes dramatically, or if Sean Burns expected to come in and reproduce and, and work with what Checker wants. Um, but I also don't really know what Sean Burns' style is like. I think Stephen Larkham, we we sort of understood a bit better, but maybe not Sean Byrne. It might be a bit of an unknown quantity. Yeah, and I think we've seen really strong performances from, say, the Brummies, and someone like Dan McKellar maybe should have been considered for this as well. I do have the feeling this decision would have been made earlier on when the Rebels were really <clears throat> performing strongly, but they've been a little bit wayward in the last, say, month or so. Do you think that does that cause any concern for you guys? Maybe Sean Byrne's been planning for his Wallabies um, stint and, and lost focus on the Rebels. I don't know. Like, can you yeah, put all he of the Rebels... doesn't have much time now, does he? No. Well, can you put all the Rebels' failings down to their attack? If anything, mm. I think their defence has... And all this chopping and changing of players has caused them to fall behind in some games and the mental strength of that team, they haven't managed to bring it back together. They've, got, they've looked a bit fragile at times. I don't know if I can 
blame that on the attacking coach's strategy. Yeah, and it might be more inflexibility of game plan. That's that's would be the thing that I would question more. I like the fact that it's someone who's willing to bring a different style to the table. Obviously, Rebels are playing a different style to what we've seen the norm in Australian Super Rugby. Uh, but whether they can also inbuild a little bit of planning in terms of if things don't go right, something to switch to. That's the thing that I think we've it's been the real crux of the Wallabies in recent years where they, they don't have a plan B or they're unable to choose when to change to a plan B. Was it the Bulls game in round 14 where the Bulls brought this plan against the Rebels where they just raced up on them in attack yeah. and completely smothered them? And uh, since then, like that that was reproduced on the Rebels multiple times. I think the Stormers actually did it the first time versus the, the Rebels a couple of weeks earlier than that. Uh, but the Bulls also did it. They just ran their big forwards straight up and they absolutely just stopped the Rebels being able to get more than one pass away. Yeah, round nine. Okay, yeah, and, and that's that's saying where we were talking about that, like, you know, you, if that's their game plan, well, they're taking a risk rushing up. You've got to adjust. You've got to come from a bit deeper. You've got to look for opportunities in over behind that line that's advancing at speed. We didn't see that, so... Um, I wonder, I don't know, Sean Byrne was only at the Rebels for, has he been there for only a year? Two years, he came over with Dan McKellar from the Force because he was over at the Force as well. Dave Vessels. Dave Vessels. Yeah, sorry, trying to mix Dan Vessels and Dan McKellar. So, so, you know, that's, you would think that they would have that in their playbook of, you know, how to, how to address uh, an opposition that's doing this to you uh, and they didn't really react that well, so... I don't know. Hopefully, it's more the more the players than the coaching because we're definitely going to have the coach and we can take our pick of the players. Just quickly, I think one thing the Wallabies do need to really work on for this year, which is going to be important in the World Cup, is their first phase first phase attack and really making the most of those opportunities off first phase, offset piece, um, and being a bit more creative with what they're doing and not just doing the second ball player, you know, round the back kind of play. And I think that's something that Brumbies have been really good at, so hopefully they can emulate a bit of that play. Yeah, Brumbies have been very good at not just doing that and doing a lot of inside balls from forwards and obviously their trademark sort of banks uh, ball running on the inside right next to the ruck, which seems to have worked a lot. And coming through around the line-out with a few different variations coming in, sort of looking like they're going wide a couple of passes and then suddenly injecting back to a, a wrapping hooker or, yeah. or another forward, yeah. which is quite creative, and I think a few other teams have picked up since. Mm. Other news we've had this week, uh, Taniella Tupo looks like he's going to sign a big deal with Rugby Australia, making him probably the third prop in the last couple of months to sign sort of a multi-year deal with Rugby Australia, so we're definitely bolstering our front row stocks at this stage. The under-20s uh, fell down at the final hurdle in the uh, Rugby World Cup going down by one point to defending champions France. That was overnight, 24-23. But a lot of great performances have come out of that competition and a lot of names that I'm sure you'll see in Super Rugby next year and years to come, including people like the captain Fraser McWright, which was a favourite for players, player of the tournament, uh, as well as some other of their back rowers and fly half Will Harrison, who is looking to potentially come in to bolster the Waratahs um, playmaking role as well. Um, they've been helped over there by Stephen Larkham as well, who's obviously taken a huge interest over there. But uh, he has just announced as well that he'll be joining the ranks of Munster as an assistant coach uh, for next year's competition as well. Huge news. I think it'll be a great opportunity for Larkham to, to further improve his coaching and look, hopefully he can do a few more years there and then maybe come back and, and get back to helping the Wallabies win. And it does kind of... To me, it looks sort of somewhat symmetrical with what Ronan O'Gar has done. He's gone from the Northern Hemisphere to a strong association, a strong club in the Southern Hemisphere, and and brought a lot of value to the Crusaders. And he'll go back to the Northern Hemisphere when he chooses to, with you know so much more uh, experience for spending time with really strong New Zealand outfit. And hopefully, deep down, I think Larkham is a is a good offensive mind, obviously a very good player in his in his time. And if he can take some of that experience and knowledge and give it to Munster, absolutely. We'll have a well-rounded Australian coach or potential coach, whether he starts as an assistant or, or comes back looking for a Super Rugby franchise again or, a, or even a Wallabies berth in the future. That'd be 
valuable experience being in the Northern Hemisphere with, with such a strong outfit. Well, Ronan O'Gara is going back to France next year to coach head coach of La Rochelle um, in the French League. And if he can have success with them, it'll be stronger clubs in that league or, or back over in the UK that'll be trying to sign him on. So just take, taking the right approach, it seems like, working your way up, not trying to jump into a head coach position and do too much with you know, a, a, an understrength, underdog side, club side, just working your way through, being exposed to as many strong coaches and talented players as you can, learn their systems, learn what makes these clubs like a dynasty in their competition. And that's that's going to be the thing that makes you the most valuable to the next GM who's trying to sign you to their to their club coach. The only other piece of news, Waratah's coach, Daryl Gibson, announced his resignation. He did have his deal extended this year, but decided against continuing on with the Waratahs into 2020. And a change that I think some of us predicted might happen or potentially hoped might happen. But the Waratahs will be looking to go in a bit of a new direction. We haven't heard who will be the next coach for them as yet, uh, but at the moment I think it's our opinion that they're probably going to be an improvement, right? Well, they've lost have Simon so. Cron, was the assistant. He's going to Japan. Yeah. Which clubs are you going to in Japan? It means Toyota Verblitz or yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so he'll be pairing up with Steve Hansen post-World Cup. Um, and I don't think they're going to be able to attract him back at such short notice, even though they, they might be tempted to offer him this role. Um, I just hope we look further abroad than just going to say someone like Chris Whitaker. Um, I really do think we need to get a really high-level coach in there, someone that, with plenty of experience to look at rebuilding this franchise a little bit. And, you know, it's going to be a three-year process probably. There's rumblings that someone like even Bernard Foley could be leaving as well for another stint in Japan. So it might mean that we're going to lose some more of those experienced guys. I think Adam Ashley Cooper might move on as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a very different-looking outfit next year, and I think we need the right coach in there with plenty of experience to manage that. Something I uh, heard and read through the week was, was some commentary from um, some people from you know the Fox Sports side of things and, and other uh players around Australian rugby talking about how do the Waratahs get into a position where they're now basically void of coaching and playing talent across the board like they've really mismanaged themselves to now fall into as you said like a two to three year rebuilding phase like a a strong central club to any any nation like a Crusaders or a Waratahs or a um you know, like a Hurricanes, like how, how do these strong clubs that are historically, you know, in, in contention for finals, at least, if not championships, get into a position where really everything's fallen apart and they're starting from scratch. It just shouldn't happen. And it's, I'm happy that Daryl Gibson's gone. I think it's a waste of a year to keep a guy who's achieved very little with the Waratahs as head coach the year after the World Cup when you have a massive exodus. Be much better off to bring in a fresh coach but unfortunately, because this hasn't been uh, managed, uh, you know, toward the end of this year, the opportunity to sign new players in preparation for next year and this rebuild is going to be very difficult. It hasn't been done, so they'll be lucky if they get a new coach before someone's out there trying to recruit people. How are they going to recruit people not knowing mm. who their coach is? Like they're going to be pulling it all together very quickly. Sorry, Arch, I think that's why you'll even see a similar situation or the Reds had to go through. Um, really going with some strong youth players and then, yeah, just being patient with that. Name that I think I mentioned last week uh, that to keep on your radar, so he's apparently a good friend of Scott Johnson, new director of Australian rugby, is Scott Wisemantle, who's the current assistant coach for England, um, attack coach for them, but apparently a good friend of Scott Johnson and previously an Australian guy, previously played for Eastwood Rugby Club, previously played for the Parramatta Eels, did coach New South Wales quite a while ago, since then has had coaching jobs from Japan to France and in between, uh, but potentially maybe looking to bring him back to Australian shores. <clears throat> that guy, he does sound like someone that would be a good fit. And we've got to remember the Waratahs, even though they're a bit of a, a basket case at the moment, it still is a pretty prestigious coaching job in Super Rugby. Like, Waratahs are still... Um, a pretty storied franchise. So I think you'll see plenty of interest. It's just, and we need management making the right decision on this. 
I absolutely agree. I just, I'm just amazed that it's all kind of fallen apart. Like no one has planned this sequence of of events where you're losing certain players and suddenly Simon Cron's gone and then Daryl Gibson you think you had and then it's, he's now gone. Like it's going to be very reactive from this point and that doesn't um, instill a whole lot of confidence in a fan base, but even a potential coach that how, how organized is this organization like do i really want to get involved with them they seem to be you know doing everything at the last minute they're not very organized and i'd be a bit worried but I, I hope someone with a bit of experience comes in and has enough time to do the recruitment and start on a good footing um so that we're not again losing a year to them trying to make something out of someone else's recruitment and uh, not really able to get off on a on a yeah, front foot. Let's keep moving on, and we'll get into the quarterfinals round. Uh, we'll talk about each of these games briefly, and we can give a bit of a grade to these teams that have been knocked out. But we'll start with Christchurch in the newly named, I think, Orange Theory Stadium in Christchurch, and the Crusaders take down the Highlanders one v eight in the overall rankings, thirty eight to fourteen. The Crusaders didn't really have too much of an issue dispatching this Highlanders team. Though you have to say that the Highlanders were playing well and they probably would have given most of the other teams in the these finals a good run for their money but couldn't do too much against the Crusaders here. Yeah, the Crusaders looked really strong. Um, typically good systems, good structure. The the Highlanders, I think, played their brand. They played the maybe the higher risk but higher reward, big counter-attacks. Um, against many other teams in this competition I think that would have been enough but the Crusaders are just so strong mentally physically the the structure of their defense just wouldn't break often enough for the Highlanders to keep up and when the Crusaders got the ball they just methodically put together strong attacking phases and scored tries like it was just inevitable that they were going to score more points they went out the flanks they went through the middle Um, the Highlanders were on a you know, a, a hiding to nothing to, to stay in touch. And that that's not a surprise. The Highlanders are a, a well-respected team and a, and a good outfit. They'll be very different next year. Um, but I, I think anyone who has to go through the Crusaders this year uh, has it has the odds against them. So if you're going to get anywhere in this finals comp, you've got to be able to beat them or beat a team that can beat them. Yeah, and the, the, the Crusaders really just look led around so well by Richie Moonga. Um You've got to think that he's putting pressure again on Bowden Barrett for this number 10 jersey for the, the All Blacks. But in this game, I think definitely... Look, there was a big hit by Liam Squire. It was no arms. He got a yellow. I think that was a bit of a changing point of the game as well. Um, the game was quite close up to that point in terms of the scoreboard. And I think having you know only 14 guys on the field for the Highlanders, the Crusaders are always going to really capitalise on that. And they did so and then ended up running away with it. So Highlanders finishes up their 2019. They're going to have a few more players with Ben Smith moving on from them again. They've been trying to overcome the fact that Sopoanga left before this year, and I think they've found a good replacement in Josh Awani. Um, but how are they going to replace Ben Smith? And I think they got, just quickly, Archer, I think they've got Mitch Hunt coming down from the Crusaders as well as an additional number 10. So, yeah, that could really help them in case Josh Awani, he can even play fullback, I think, so... They may mix things up that way. Well, they're losing a huge amount of people, actually, because I think Marty Banks is going. The Barracuda uh, is also leaving. Matt Fattis, I believe, is going, as well as their second rowers with uh, Hemapo, as well as Franklin yeah. is going as well. So they're losing a huge amount of people in this offseason as well. Luke, Luke Whitelock, Liam mm-hmm. Squire, the list Tara goes on. A lot of stars. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stars that are moving on. Do we say Tavita Lee? Like, just... just... Yeah. Huge number, huge number of guys. It's going to be a very different team next year. Um, they're my adopted foreign team, so I'll be keeping a close eye on them, and hopefully they can um, do some sensible recruitment. There'll be a lot of guys uh, moving around, looking for an opportunity after the World Cup, uh, or potentially there's there's some teams that seem to have, um, although New Zealand's much better than Australia, I think that some teams that still have a, a bit of a queue of guys looking at the same position, so... Hopefully the Highlanders move quickly and, and sign a few of those names. So Highlanders, uh, final grade for the season. Leo, you weren't here last week. What would you give them? 
Uh, look, they they had their setbacks, but I think they they mostly had um, the team they they wanted to have this year. Losing Ben Smith's a pretty key piece in the puzzle. I think they did a lot with uh, Josh Uwani. Like Aaron Smith supported him really well, and he's now really stepped up. Um, he's getting uh, his highlights in the reel of potential future All Black tens uh, mm-hmm. when when people start talking about you know. His stats versus Bowden Barrett's and they're almost indistinguishable sort of thing. Yeah, that sort of stuff. And obviously, he's he's unlikely to usurp Bowden Barrett or Richie Moanga, but he's younger. He's he's that you know a few years younger. You know, potentially the World Cup following whenever those guys wrap it up if he sticks around. I think it's been unfortunately for them, it's been it's been a good year. They've they've recovered from a bit of change. They've they've done a fair bit with what they've got. Unfortunately, they're now losing a lot again. So really, how much of a platform have they built for the future? I think just on on names and performance, it's probably somewhere around the seven out of ten for me. Um, they're they've they've put in a strong performance. They haven't achieved too much more than just a finals berth, but because um, it's pretty tight there in the middle, uh, I worry a little bit that it's going to be a big challenge to to remain competitive early next year. So seven out of ten, that's almost B, maybe bordering B plus sort of rankings. B, I think. Yeah. Um, let's keep going. And they had the Haguaros taking on the Chiefs, and the Chiefs who had upset them over in South America last year, but not to be this time. 21-16. The Chiefs definitely gave them a bit of a scare, scored a, all 16 of their points sort of in a bunch and made the Haguaros really come have to come back at them in the second half. They seemed to be a lot more measured in the first half. They're a lot more conservative in their play. And then second half, the Haguaros came out a bit more something had changed, something had sparked them, and they really started running and really attacking the Highlanders, especially out wide. But this is a team that we know has been playing really well, and they showed just why they finished off so strong in Super Rugby and taking this one 21-16. The Hags keep saying they're going to be difficult at home. Very strong at home. Yeah. And, um, you know, had to had to play through a bit of adversity. The, the Chiefs really took it to them, and the Chiefs are that unpredictable team that, that can put it together, and and I, I thought someone like Solomon Alamalo looked really strong in phases here. I thought he was going to be a bit of a game breaker for them. They did, they did lose Debrasini at some point. I think they had to, they were forced substitution to to take Debrasini off. He pulled his groin as he kicked a penalty in this game, um, so that may have had an impact. That they, they were really. He you did know, look good earlier in that game as well. I think I that think... was the sixteenth point. I think was him kicking that. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, in the in the forty third minute. So, you know, that impacts you in a good system in a in a strong team. You should have the depth to keep going, but it may have just changed their plans a bit. Um, the Haguari is strong at home. Uh, I think they know that it's a fortress for them, and and they would have known that they could they could do this. Um, just Pablo Matera blows my mind. That guy's everywhere. And such a strong ball so runner, good. so hard to tackle, and and he was really critical for them too in the second half. Yeah, just having guys like that and and Creevy just so consistent in what they do. They have never a, kind of a never ending list of big back rowers that can handle well, and just so mobile around the field, but can also hit you in defence. Um, look, this team's going to be really difficult to beat, and as we talked about, look, it's probably going to be a Crusaders Haguares final. Um, which is going to be a tremendous matchup. I just hope that the Brumbies can at least go in there. If they're not going to get the win, at least give them a real, real scare. Because um, the Brumbies do have that physical abrasiveness to actually match the Jaguars. So I think it's going to be a great um, matchup with that one. I, I can't pick against them at the moment at home. I just think they're going to be too strong. They've been very strong at home. I don't know if the Chiefs are one of the top defensive units. They were lauded as one of the top attacking units in this competition, but defensively, I don't think they were, you know, particularly high up on the on the ranks. And for the Haguaros to only put twenty one points on them, I think the Brumbies' defence is is probably superior, and and that's going to be a cornerstone. If you can keep them from, you know, breaching that twenty point mark, and then put some attack together like the Brumbies have every game at home this year, I absolutely think the Brumbies can do this. And I, I'll tell you what, a Brumbies. A Brumbies Crusaders game or a Brumbies Hurricanes game, if it went that way, would be pretty amazing for a final. The Brumbies would be pumped up. So, Chiefs obviously end their season in a way that probably no one ever expected them to do it after losing to the Sunwolves early on. Uh, they end up in the quarterfinals. They end up, look, within six points of um, t- getting into the semis and 
going back to New Zealand or going coming back to Australia for it. Um, what would you rate them? Grade them for 2019. Uh, so I'm going I'm going B plus for the Chiefs. I think it's really was a tale of two halves of their season. But the amount of injuries they had, the amount of rotation they had to go through again and to still make the finals was a really good effort. Um, because after that start, I think everyone was writing them off for the whole season. They were able to turn that around. I think Sam Payne had a big thing, you know, a big part to play in that and also getting back Brody Retallick. But look, they, they continue to battle adversity, this team. And for a number of years now, they've had to really deal with some significant issues during the season. Um, and it just shows you some of the quality they do have there. They do have some great young players that are going to um, hold them in good stead coming into the future. But yeah, look, I have to give them a B plus because I think that even though they went down in this one, I think overall this season, probably more positives than negatives. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I don't think an A plus rating was was what that, you know, for, for say winning the championship, I don't think that's realistic. So for what they did and where I thought they'd finish, which was, which was never really contending... Uh, with the top teams, I think they have done a lot again with uh, you know a fair bit of adversity. So good effort, and uh, hopefully they can keep keep some healthy guys on the field next year and, and strengthen up again. And you know they're, they're always going to be contenders when healthy. This year, I just don't think they had it in them. Next, we had the Hurricanes back at home and hosting the Bulls, and just like every other away team other than the Highlanders, had a big travel all the way back over to Wellington for this one. The Hurricanes kept looking like they put the Bulls completely out of this contest, but the Bulls kept trying to come back, kept scoring points, and really trying to bring it to the Hurricanes, but couldn't make it up in the end. And is this a problem for the Bulls? Because they had the opportunity to make sure they got a home semi-final in this game. They ended up fifth, ended up with a couple of drawn games on tour, a couple of losses at home that really hurt them. Could this have been a different story, say, if this was in Pretoria versus the Hurricanes? Potentially. Um, I still think the Bulls are a strong team, and they definitely took it to the to the Canes. They'll, they'll rue this one because next year this is not going to be the same team. They're losing some key guys, um, Snyman, Vermeulen, Creel, Pollard. This was their chance, and um, uh, unfortunately, I think just not, not good travellers um, and, and not quite as... Um, not not as strong in attack as the Hurricanes at their best, and the Hurricanes looked really strong in this game. Um, they looked like the Hurricanes, I fear, not the Hurricanes who look a bit dysfunctional earlier in the season. So definitely missed opportunity for them. They'll they'll be a bit disappointed, but they've had to go. You know the the miles they've done this year and and the success they've had on the road. I don't think I expected too much different. Yeah, I think you're right, Leo. The the timing of their tour. And then lead into these final series where they had to go back to New Zealand twice in quick succession. Just really wasn't going to play out well for them. I think the Hurricanes are still a class above. Um, particularly in that back line, I do think that they deserve to win this game. Um, no question. I think they, they, they're they worthy top four place getter. Uh, the Bulls, though, look, like you say, it's going to be another bit of a transition for them. They're losing some of those guys they've had in there for a number of years and even someone like Vermeulen, who's come back and really made an impact on this team, he'll be gone. But yeah, look, I don't know. Grade-wise, maybe a B minus. Mm. I think they could have been a little better. Yeah, so a bit disappointing for the Bulls and probably a similar story. We've already really talked about the Brumbies, but they really kind of embarrassed, I think, the Sharks a bit in Canberra. Sharks really just didn't look like they had anything in attack. And it only took a couple of penalties before Esterhausen really thumped his way over the line for them to get any sort of uh, threat at the try line for the Brumbies, whereas the Brumbies were running in tries from all over the place. We've talked about the standout players, but for me, I think the Sharks, again, it's probably a B-, minus, if not like a C+, plus, considering the potential that they have in that team and what we saw flashes of earlier in the season. Um, for them to finish that far sort of down the standings have to travel to Canberra and then put on a bit of a disappointing show that I think they'd be very disappointed with how their 2019 season has gone. Yeah, I think they, I don't know, it's definitely gone up and down on the Sharks this year. Like I, I was really surprised by the the quality of what, what, say, Rob Dupree was bringing early in the season 
And then later in the season, I know he hasn't been used in the same way. He's come off the bench a lot, but he's become less and less impressive. And I, I know they were forced into some changes with their, their fullback not being available for this game. Hence, Kerwood Bosch had to move to fullback. But they've certainly looked a lot strong with Bosch at 10. And maybe it was a bit of a false measure to the the strong Sharks at the start of the season. They, they got going and, and had some good uh, good games. But I think this was probably the real Sharks, what we saw in this game. I don't think they're as strong as maybe I was uh, starting to believe mid-season when they were on a bit of a romp. Um, and now they're going to lose a lot of guys. Well, I think all the Dupree guys are going to sail Sharks or something. They're all Pretty much. They're all leaving. So um, they're losing two-thirds of their front row and uh, Ruan Botha as well. So, look, I, I would give them a lower score. I think the mid-season, they, they outperform themselves, but I, I don't think they were really uh, ever going to be equals of the top four as as the season is finished, so I was I was pretty confident the Brumbies would have this one, especially with their home form. So so in the end, I think we all need to realise that when we made our prediction who was going to win the South African Conference, Archie was right. Pretty sure Leo was wrong. Toby, I'm pretty sure you were wrong as well. I picked the best South yeah, African I team. The, I think I took the Sharks. Yeah, I, I picked the best South African team. I I, I didn't realise the Argentinian national team was in this comp. So. Me and Phil oh, you're going to be about upset about that as well. <laughs> oh my god! No, no, no! What they're, a shame! They're deserving, and you know that's the been the whole point of having that team is to draw quality Argentinian players back into their uh, domestic arena, and they've featured for the Haguaras. They've been coached well for two years, and now they're they're really reaping the benefits of, yeah. of of all the work they've done, and they deserve to be where they are. And they're exciting to watch as well. They are absolutely. So. Boys, before we go on to our predictions for the semi-finals, uh, we didn't really have a players of the round, but is there a key player that you've been impressed with so far in this round and are looking for even more coming in the semi-finals? I think I picked him maybe not two weeks ago, but recently. I'm, I'm still on Christian Lelofano's bandwagon. He is still a steady hand. That The Sharks definitely targeted his channel in defense and he wasn't always defending the 10 channel he was out wide sometimes and they ran Esterhausen at him over and over and over and he was making one-on-one tackles he was making them low where he needed to go and he, he wasn't rattled by it and and he continued to to steer the ship for that team um, between him and Joe Powell who I think has had a much better season this year I was really off Joe Powell last year but he has improved markedly this year uh, finally you know, starts sniping, scores a try. Those two guys, but Christian Lelofano has just really impressed me. I really hope he gets rewarded uh, with some Wallabies squad time uh, as the rugby championship comes together. How good was it seeing Joe Powell take on Robert Dupree on the sideline and just knock him over the sideline and then Robert Dupree have a bit of a hissy fit about it and throw the ball back at him? Yeah, Joe Powell definitely got under his skin there. Good halfback work. That's what. You, that's all you need your halfback to do. Snipe a bit and get under the skin of everyone on the opposition. Toby, anyone you've got your eye on? Um, look, Pete Summers mullet again. He's improved it further. He's growing it out. Um, he's cutting everything else off. On point as well. He's cutting the rest off just huh? to exaggerate the mullet. I think he's. I think he's been listening. He's appreciating your love. That's what I'm saying. I like it. I think Richie Arnold, um, Richie Arnold. Arnold rather is is joining him as well. He's mm. um, he's starting to grow his out, so we could see a full team of mullets eventually. We hope Pete um, Simon's hamstrings available next week too. He's not. Well, this is the problem. This is what I was just getting to. It's um, he's not going to travel with them. I think yeah. he's out of this mm. game, which is going to be a big blow for them, but also a really good opportunity for Lachlan McCaffrey to to step up and and solidify his claim for that number eight spot. Yeah, it's a bit of a loss because Pete Samo had a great game. That first 20 minutes, him playing, um, starting from the second minute when he broke away for a try, I thought, yep, that's him. He's locked himself into the Wallabies 23 right there um, just with this performance. But hopefully he recovers from that hamstring injury quickly and hopefully the Brumbies are hanging around to give him another chance to run out for the Brumbies this year. Am I crazy in thinking that McCaffrey, in terms of the style of back rowers and, and the skills he brings and the way he plays, he's a bit comparable to the back rowers of the Haguaras. Like he's a bit more ball player, a bit more sort of ranging out wide. Um, he's actually, like if he can outplay 
the opposition. Not obviously that's good for the team, but they're a pretty high quality back row. I actually see him with a lot of similarities. Um, he could really make a showing for the Wallabies case. Yeah, he is a bit similar almost to that Pablo Matero sort of thing, ranging out wide. Not not worried about putting in a in a kick or throwing a cutout pass when he wants to. Uh, so this is probably a chance for him. I still think he's, he is probably a poor man's Pablo Matera, unfortunately. Um, so I think the Wallabies are going to have a tough time competing with that back row. Especially, look, I like the guy, Tom Cusack. He puts in there so much heart, but he does give away some really dumb penalties in games as well. Um, so I'm a bit worried about him trying to do a bit too much next week as well. Yeah, I was going to say, Arch, do you start Jerome Brown or do you stay with Tom Cusack? I think obviously we're going to see... I'd love to see like Jerome Brown. Replacement with McCaffrey. Yeah. Yeah. So you think you bring Jerome Brown in for seven. And, and obviously, Dalatini's really coming into some good form as well, which is good to see. And mm. he's staying injury free for now. Um, so I think Checker will be looking at that very closely as well for the Wallabies. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So this weekend, two games Crusaders versus Hurricanes. Uh, once again, we get to see this battle for who it gets into the final. And. Often people will still say it's the top two teams in the competition. That's really pretty equal, I think, to what we're expecting to see out of Argentina with the Brumbies taking on the Haguaras. Is this going to be another uh, site where we, we're tipping the home team in both regards, the 1-2 seeds to get through? For me, yes. I have to take the Haguaras and I have to take the Crusaders, even though I'd really like to see the Brumbies pull, pull out an upset here. But imagine if, say, the Canes were to win and then the Haguaras were to, would to take their game. You could see a final in Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires uh, I can't even say it. Buenos Aires. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the I think the Crusaders are just amazing uh, strength of mind and, and systems and structure is the it's it's the rock to the Hurricanes' fancy backline and, and and exciting play scissors. I just think that that will beat that type of play. It's just the right. Um, it's just the right structure, one versus the other. And, and the Crusaders are so consistent at executing it. I, I don't see them falling apart, even if the Hurricanes get a trial too early. The, the Crusaders will just grind it back. But I do I do think the Brumbies can win overseas. Uh, you know, they've, they've been able to finish their season at home and and now get to... Uh, and they've had their home final. So they're not, they're not travel-weary. They've got this one bit of travel to go... Um, I reckon, I reckon they can absolutely upset the Haguaras. They'll have to play as well as they play at home. They'll have to mm. really find find that um, settled mind and just play their systems and not be daunted by the atmosphere over there in Buenos Aires. Yeah, I have a feeling that that game could go one of two ways and it could be a really all-out attacking game where we see a lot of points scored. But for the Brumbies to have any chance of win, I think they're going to have to lock it down and play a very defensive game and just stifle the Haguaris a little bit because we've seen the Brumbies, uh, a little bit similar to the Haguaris, can break out and score from deep, can score from anywhere, and they can keep it close in the forwards. And I think this is a game to try and attack up the front, up front, make sure you're making those covering tackles because the Haguaris are going to be trying to slice through you and get around you, behind you with those little kicks and grubbers. And they're a good kicking team, the Haguaris. So particularly, um, you know, general play, got to be covering well around the back. So that's Banks and Spate and Palu, who've, I think, been playing well. And to have the discipline not to give away the penalties because they will just chip those penalties and, and score a few points on you that way and, and slowly build a lead. So not just a matter of stopping the tries, but being disciplined as well and not, not giving them free shots for three in their half. And what do we think? Is is Banks now the front runner for the Wallabies jersey? If he fullback jersey, if he keeps playing like this, well, that leads us into sort of Wallabies chat, which we were going to have to go through a little bit today as well. Um, for me, I don't know what you guys think. I think he's make sure he makes sure that he's in the squad, but at the moment, I don't think he's going to get first run at that fifteen jersey. I think he's going to get an opportunity at some point, but I don't think that. They think he has the all-round game at the moment to do what Dane Hallett, Petty, and Bjork can do. And I agree with what Archie's saying that they don't think he can do that, but I disagree. I think he can. So it's going to be very difficult for him to find his way to 15 early in the rugby championship without someone else being injured or faltering because he's not the incumbent 
we have multiple other people who've played Wallabies 15 and will just on paper be assumed to be a superior option. But on form and, uh, you know, he just he just seems like he's untainted by the the debacles of, of Wallaby's past, like, you know, our, our poor showings in the last couple of years. Bringing someone like Banks in to play fullback, coming off this form, um, I just think would be a really great fresh start and that would, you know, give the Wallabies a lot more uh, attacking potency. I think Hale Petty's serviceable, Beal I still don't really trust. And I agree. I think he definitely deserves his opportunity, whether he gets that or not is another story. Does that mean we still think with Checker in mind that Banks is probably still third in line for that jersey? Probably, unfortunately. Yeah. So you got probably DHP, we think maybe we'll start and then maybe use Bill as a utility player off the bench. And then Banks may struggle to make the 23 and maybe the first starting lineup of the, of the season for the Wallabies. Well, Toby, why don't you run us through your 23 as you have it at the moment, what you think Czech is going to pick? Okay. Well, it's difficult because I think there are some challenges in there in certain positions, but from what I what Don't I hedge your bets, for, mate. Just pick a team. I think... Mate, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pick James Slipper in the loose head position. I think he's really, you know, deserved his opportunity back in the starting jersey for the Wallabies. I think CO will come off the bench. Falau flying a red hooker is an easy choice for me. And then I've got Alan Alatoa at tight head um, with the Tongan Thor on the bench. In the second row, I think Rory Arnold's been a real standout for the Brumbies this year. And finally, I think he's going to get his consistent opportunity at Wallabies level. Uh, Just got to watch the high tackles. Yeah. Well, there's certain elements in his game, but I like his aggression. I like his hard and edge. And I think in combination with Isaac Rotter there in the second row, I think that would be a really good tight five for the Wallabies. Um, things get a little bit murkier in the back row. I'm going to have to start Michael Hooper at seven. I think he's still, as the Wallabies captain, deserves his place. And he's played the house down this year in a pretty disappointing Waratahs outfit. Look, Rob Valentini, I think the way he's playing right now, I would pick him at number six. I know people talk about Lucan Tui or Salakai Loso as someone that maybe should be in there at number six. I'd take Valentini, and I'd be, based on the last few weeks of form as well, Issy Nicerani at number eight. I think that still gives you enough options in the line-out, um, and they, these guys can really carry the ball well. Do you guys want to go through your forward pack, or do you want me to keep going? No, I'll go. Chipping my forward. So I'm very similar to Tobes. I, I've got Scott Co starting over Slipper, but he's on my bench. Um, and then I run through the same type five. And, and yeah, I think they've all been in great form. Uh, Rory Arnold's only only downfall, unfortunately, especially we saw this week. It's Man is too tall and just cannot keep his tackles down. So if, if, he can, if he can make a change there, then there's really absolutely no reason not to pick the guy. He's doing everything else at a really high level. Um, similarly in the back row I wrote down my Wallabies 23 a week or two ago and I still had Luke Jones at 6 but the more I see of Rob Valentini I'm, I'm in agreement I think he's if he's if he's fit then he has some really um, you know some great skills to bring in some huge physicality uh, I don't know how to compare him to Jones in terms of line out prowess I think Luke Jones really impressed me with the way he controlled the Rebels line out especially in the absence of Adam Coleman um, I think those two probably get the first opportunities in in the coming rugby championship, and it might just be a bit of an in and out, one on the bench, one on the back row, um, to to give them opportunities to stand up in the next arena up. That all sounds pretty standard to me. I don't think I will change too much between. I think it's going to be one or the other. I think you're right. Luke Jones has probably fallen out of favour. Valentini's probably gone into favour. I think Czech, we'll see Nasirani. I reckon starting because Czech has been grooming him for. Uh, a couple of years now. Um, in the backs, I think we're all probably pretty settled in what we'd pick for the inside backs. I think everyone's going to be thinking that the starting team is going to be looking like Genia and Bernard Foley. It's the 9-10 at the moment with Karevi and Karindrani in the centres. It's really the back three where things go a bit awry. And everyone, I think, would probably put Korobiti. Uh Yeah, something different, Topes? Mate, I, I think Christian deserves his chance. I'd put him in at 10. You'd start him? I think he could... Uh, yep, I'd start him. I think he's come so far from even last year, but the start of the season as well. And I think he can manage 
I know that at the Brumbies, for example, Ira Simone's got a bit more ball-playing ability, but Karevi's developed that part of his game as well. So I think if you're going to play Karevi and Kurundrani in their centres, I think Christian's kind of used to managing two big ball-carrying centres um, and obviously he has that combination with TK. And I don't think that Bernard Foley deserves to keep his spot at the moment. I think it's probably less likely that he would get dropped, but I think that Christian, his form deserves that opportunity. I agree entirely. Um, unfortunately, I think the way um, teams build into World Cups, I think the Genia Foley combination is something that Checker will value. And it's a bit of that, um, you know, to, to, to make a change or to give away something that you, you feel like you've worked hard on um, is going to be really difficult. But I absolutely agree that I think Lelefano could do a really good job. And aside from the existing combinations of, of Foley, uh, yeah, Foley and Genia, there's not a lot else to work off, really, because um, Karevi last year was in and out um, with injury and, and Kuridrani wasn't in hot form. So, And none of these guys play in the same team. So at the moment, Genia, Foley, Karevi, Kuridrani, you've got Rebels, Waratahs, Reds, and Brumbies. So there's no pre-existing combinations there. If anything, that maybe lends to Christian's... Um, benefit that he had has at least worked with Kuridrani previously um, in, in the same uh, club level. But will he, will he get a chance and will people hold his former Wallabies history against him? That's that's probably what's holding him back. Look, I'd love to see it. I'd absolutely love to see it. And I think he would not disappoint. He would not let us down, I think, if we gave him that chance. Um, at the back, we've already really talked about fullback. We'd love to see Banks get his chance. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it is going to take an injury before that happens. Or I'd like to say like an easier game in the rugby championship, but there isn't really going to be an easy game. It used to be, okay, we can put a few different people versus Argentina, but I reckon they're just going to be just as strong as South Africa this year anyway. Um, but I think you're going to see Corabini on one wing, and then it's going to be either Hodge or DHP if they're putting Beal at 15. That's... All I can really see happening, I don't see another winger taking that starting spot at the moment. It's going to be one of these utilities. Yeah, do you think Maddox has a chance to take the other wing? I think... No, I think he's... I'm not sure he does. I don't think he's He hasn't really, done enough since week six or he seven. He hasn't done right? enough, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I had big big reps on Maddox early in the season. His combination with Quaid and Genia was really strong. Um, we when doubt we're going to see Quaid in the mix, particularly yeah. in the starting lineup. Which so hurts that Maddox. Probably, yeah, I, I kept saying at the start of the year, like he'd no, be a right. perfect person to put in if you put Quaid in. I, I honestly oh. thought Quaid might outplay Bernard Foley enough to, to get there, but that was a bit of a long shot. Uh, with Banks at fullback, I think DHP makes sense on the wing, gets a lot of fullback coverage. You don't get the kicking and the and the positional play out of Korobiti. Uh If anything, Korobiti is a slight, uh, slight risk um, for getting out of position in defence, so you really need to have a strong... 15 behind him just to make sure if he does run up to try and pressure someone and, and make a bad decision you, you're covered but I think while I while I would like Banks at fullback and DHP probably takes the wing maybe Hodge I think what's more realistic is that uh, Beal ends up at fullback and DHP or Hodge end up on the wing I worry about putting DHP on the wing um, I think he's a bit too slow to be a starting winger still um, and he doesn't quite offer as much uh, electric pace and just footwork out wide. I think he's much better at the back, and I think at the moment I'd prefer to have him at fullback than say someone like Bill. But I just don't want us to go back to these old combinations that weren't really working over the last couple of years, and and just think that that's gonna our fortunes are gonna change. I think we should be picking guys on form, and that's why I think that um, Banks really deserves his opportunity as well. And again, then you have that combination with Christian there at ten. Um, whether they go that way or not remains to be seen. We'll have to see how well the Brumbies do this week and perhaps their chances will increase. Yeah, and I agree with you about DHP. He's not hes not really a, a typical winger. He doesn't bring that explosive pace. I think it's just a function of this weird um, te- tendency to pick almost all-rounders or, or jack-of-all-trades who can cover you in case of... So, like, Hodge is a bit of a utility. DHP is a bit of a utility. That seems Even to be... Even Beal more... is that sort of thing as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that seems to be more valuable based on what I've seen Checkers' selections 
in the past to be they seem to value that more highly than the specialist but then you look at obviously you know Genny is a specialist you look at Karevi and Kuradrani specializing in their position you should not play them anywhere else we need to find those same guys in the outside backs and Karabidi is a specialist Banks is a specialist fullback and so I mean if anything I'd, maybe, I'd probably maybe put someone like Pulu Pulu absolutely has an opportunity but he's coming from a long way behind because he hasn't been about in previous seasons so I, I again playing for the Brumbies and playing really well I think he's definitely got his hat in the ring um, I just think like we're picking on what we think is going to happen versus what we would pick ourselves I think they just keep all these semi-utility guys in and it's a Beal, DHP, Hodge kind of blend there at the back because they'll feel like there's you know too much history and, and experience there to let go of It's you put Beal on the bench that's a lot of tests on the bench which is great for the bench great for late in the game but I just I just don't think they can bear the thought of leaving them out of the starting 15 I think just the last guy, though, is Naivalu. He could be the only other guy that maybe do you really chance your arm and put Korobiti and Naivalu on each wing? Yeah, I, I, I'm not that strong on Sefer. I honestly think I'd rather someone like Tony Pulu than, than Sefer at the moment. Yes, I'm bringing people him. around to Tony Pulu. I like this guy. Well, the more I see of him, it's like Valentini. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't criticise their skills previously but I would see them further down the pecking order because you haven't seen enough of them they've been injured they haven't been in the system but every week the well, the Brumbies get another game they're getting another opportunity to demonstrate their form exactly. and their skills and it's closer and closer to when we're actually going to be playing the All Blacks the Springboks the Pumas and those guys are going to be front of mind so that's why I want to see the Brumbies go deep into this finals series and, and see those guys get their opportunities well, we can probably leave it there for this week. We're probably going to get more. Oh, sorry, Leo, you want to talk about one more name? Tate McDermott. I'm sick of all the second string halfbacks, and I reckon we just put Tate McDermott in, start developing the guy. I'm, I've always been done with Phipps. Unfortunately, I think um, Jake Gordon's missed the boat. Um, Powell. Joe Powell's actually been pretty good, so I wouldn't be upset if he was our second string. But I'm would just... be. Huh? You would be upset if he no, was I wouldn't, second... I wouldn't okay. be. I would be upset if it's Phipps. I don't think Jake Gordon's So pretty much you're just saying anyone but Phipps yeah, well, is really what you're saying. That's just an echo of the last two years or longer. <laughs> but no, Tate McDermott, quality player. I want to see him in, included in the squad. Uh, he doesn't have to be obviously starting or even on the bench, but this is a guy who deserves to be in the camps and should be seen as the obvious successor down the track to people like Genia. We need to have those guys in early, and unfortunately that means we, we've got to give up on a few guys who just... we. Ha- Possibly they've mismanaged as opposed to have missed their chance. But um, I think Tate McDermott deserves to be in. Yeah, Nick, Nick White's going to ruin your party, I think. Yeah, and that's even more He's ridiculous. Swoop in and... Even more ridiculous. <laughs> Nothing against Nick White, but like, come on. Like, we've got to. You couldn't cut it in Australian rugby before and make the Wallabies. Well, he was the third string then, and then Powell came and he's the third string. And Jake Gordon's kind of been third string. If, you, if they're not kind of clearly holding their own and demonstrating. I think Tate McDermott's a guy who would outperform the third and then the second string and then be you know, pushing Genia for the starting spot year to year. And that's what you want. You want your second string pushing your first pick, and we do not have that. Fair point. <laughs> well, now we can probably wrap it up, I think. Um, that's probably all we need to talk about. I'm sure we'll brush on these Wallabies again and again, and soon we'll have a bit of a squad to actually deconstruct for the rugby championship. It's not long away just under a month or so until we get those first games of the Rugby Championship. Wallabies obviously starting off their campaign in South Africa this year, a bit different to previous years, not starting off with two games versus the All Blacks, whether that will help us in the end or not. We still have to wait and see, but before that, massive Saturday this weekend, the Haguaros kicking off at 9am and then the Hurricanes and Crusaders on at 5.30, so at times that mean they don't actually ruin the rest of your day. Have breakfast, watch some rugby, afternoon tea, Washington Rugby still got the night to go. So Super Rugby doing all the right things this weekend. Um, thanks again for tuning in. Obviously, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other uh, relevant sites to, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and at Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast, as well as Twitter as well at Running Rugby Pod. All the extra information, all the news that's coming out surrounding Falau will probably be smashed through there and you'll probably get a big smattering of that before we can keep our mind on the field this weekend again. Thanks again 
for tuning in. We'll be back next week. From Leo, Toby, and myself, keep on running. Go the Brumbies. Run. <laughs> the human torch was denied a bank loan. Saint <clears throat> like Poseidon. Yeah. Odin's raven.